Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from Percy'sGrowRoom.com. Instead of the grow guides today, we are having a special episode that we did about six weeks ago with Angus from The Real Seed Company. Angus has been on the show a few times before in a few recent episodes as well. He did the Cannabis News of Us one week and the Grow Guides when we spoke about land races. And we also did an interview with him as well. But after those episodes, we also did a Q&A and that's what this interview is today. So we talk about cannabis, the history of cannabis, uh, culture, the plant itself, land races genetics we talk about loads of stuff to do with cannabis in this episode and as you know if you heard the previous episodes of angus there's going to be a lot of information in this episode so roll yourself a fat one get super high and enjoy this interview with angus and i'll speak to you at the end of this soon a bit Yeah, man. So how are you, mate? How's things since the last time we spoke? I know you was on Chad Westport's show yesterday for a good long session over there, man. It was a good show. I was there in the chat, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah it's all been good. I've been I've been pretty busy. Um, just got um, a whole load of um, accessions to a big preservation project in the US. Um, and they've just started germinating some seeds. They um, So I sent them about 100 different things, you know, from mostly across asia the, the kind of th things you can see on the site and then a bunch of other stuff as well that that um i hadn't put onto the site because you know minimum absolute minimum we, we want to have like you know 80 percent germination minimum you know and and generally stuff is somewhere close to 100 percent you know mm -hmm. if we're going to sell the seeds but um so there's some stuff I sent them that you won't see on the site, but yeah, we've got sent, sent them a whole bunch of different stuff and they're going to do um, maintenance grows of it. Um, meaning that they're going to grow like they're aiming for like 200 plants per strain, make right. seeds from that. Those will nice. go into germ, germplasm banks all around the States. And then um, also into Svalbard uh, seed vault. Um, and um the the collections that that they have um this is like uh i wasn't i wasn't going to mention it on the program because it's sort of um i don't mind well, we, we are live already so just bear that in mind oh are we yes yeah, <laughs> oh, sorry we, i thought we started it, it's recording. all good it's all good oh, bollocks right well anyway that's lucky you told me but um anyway, <laughs> just thought i'd jump uh, in there before you start revealing two big secrets you know it's not a big secret but i just don't want to kind of um people to, to think it's a sort of advertising thing that i'm doing anyway it's a, it's a mm. it's all gonna be publicly available to um uh crop breeders and um uh you know anyone with a serious need for the seeds that they, they can get them just apply for them for free you know and mm. um uh so they just germinated the balky um uh, about uh, Mazari Sharif kind of area seeds that Lucas um, Lucas Strasseri um, people mm. might know um, a friend of mine who um, I met uh, traveling in Peshawar years ago in, in Pakistan and um, he did a trip to Afghanistan in 2018 and collected a whole bunch of different seeds around there and um, so they just germinated some of that and uh, some some uh, really wild stuff that I collected um, 2022, I guess it would be in Humla, in um, really kind of remote far west of Nepal, up near very close to the Tibetan border. 
um, up on the what was the old kind of pilgrimage route up to Mount Kailash that a lot of um, Buddhists and uh, Hindus would do where you go they would they would sort of um, walk um, through the Indian and the Pali Himalaya and then cross into Tibet and then go around this do sort of circumambulations of this big sacred mountain so just a cool place basically lots of kind of mm. amazing Buddhist monasteries and culture up in the mountains there and um, collected I collected some very very kind of wild um, as, as wild as cannabis really gets in those kind of places you know there was no one cultivating around there it was like this plant had very small seeds and uh, very kind of wild phenotype and uh, yeah and they sort of germinated those as well going to make more seeds of those and should be they're like mapping the genomes of the plants and um you know um just looking at all the different properties they've got they were interested in the the bulk material because um uh the the, the plants turn kind of purple colored and they're looking at um what's the word like the anthocyanin mm-hmm. anyway the genetics of the purple colorations that cannabis has yeah. you know yeah so um all good fun you know it's, it's it's thank god like i've been people who sort of been following what i do have probably heard me say a million times like oh, i'm trying to get all this stuff preserved and and so mm. on and so on and so on and then finally i found some people who are actually prepared to commit the resources to doing it and i know that's that cool, all this stuff that's been sitting in the fridge is actually gonna finally have a home and it's not gonna just die off you know it's actually gonna be maintained and you know fingers crossed assuming we don't kind of nuke ourselves we'll someone in 200 years could still be um accessing this material you know what i've given this project um you know it really spans a a pretty decent um selection of of uh, the diversity of cannabis because most of it's asian and asia is where most of the biodiversity is and um you know you've got the you, you know we were talking about before like you've got the indica in indica type zones in 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 the north in the hindu kush and central asia and then and so i've got a a pretty decent representation of that and then um thanks to you know various people i work with and and collecting collecting i've done myself and then pretty good selection of sativa type plants pretty good selection of himalayan plants a few east african things a few things from like greece and morocco over that way um you know so um it's a it's a it's a it's a reasonable start and i'm now going to focus a bit more on um uh getting actually kind of the, the more wild material because actually the the plants that we grow for you know making drugs quote unquote like you know ganja and hashish and charis all of those are domesticated and being domesticated makes them genetically quite a lot more narrow you know that selection right. process is a is a process of you know reducing down the genome down to 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 to, 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 to just so it's expressing traits that you're you're you like you know and that mm-hmm. Whereas the, you know, so you're narrowing it, you're narrowing the population down as you select more and more heavily. Whereas um, the wild, shitty looking wild plants that you might see growing around the side of a road in, in, in a lot of Asia and so on, those look like a load of old crap. But from a genetic perspective, they're really interesting because they've got a much, much broader genetic base. Hmm. Um, it's just this, it's sort of concealed behind this uh, phen- uh, this appearance that looks really unappealing. But if you were to take weedy plants growing, um, you know, in if you think of an American analogy, if you were to go to Kentucky or somewhere, right, which has a long history going way back of growing actually really high quality hemp and stuff. Mm-hmm. If you were to find some ditch weed in Kentucky, 
and spend you know 10 generations of working it you could recreate um those really high quality hemp strains that were once grown there in the fields you know if you yeah. went to bits of india where there was there was once a like you know bengal and things where there was once a massive ganja industry producing very high quality sensomita there isn't any more but if you go and get the weedy crap that you might find growing in a ditch around rajshahi or somewhere um you could turn that you could work work on those populations and and recreate um the land races that they once had there you know wow um, yeah so all the diversity of um really the 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 really important stuff from a crop breeding perspective the diversity it's all in it's all in this weedy ditch weed as we call it you know mm -hmm. yeah those are the really important things when i've discussed um what i'm doing with um you know genuine experts like crop scientist experts and stuff they've always said to me oh yeah you've got to go, go and get all the wild stuff and, and don't be don't be a smart ass about it you just see some random, like they said, collect at random. That's much. That's what they. That's the really professional way to do it, as it were. You, cool. Really. You so don't you just see some weed on the side of the road and go grab a grab cutting it. of it or something. Uh, what you would do is like um, uh, with because with with um, uh, weedy cannabis, one of the kind of defining traits of it is that the seeds fall off the plants, right? Right. Okay. They don't stay inside the bract, inside the bud, the, the, the way they do with cultivated types. That's a, hmm. you know, that's a, that's like wild syndrome versus domesticated syndrome, mm -hmm. in, in the in the in the in the terminology. So it, you know, when when we, when you're doing the like formal taxonomic categorization of cannabis, um, they would be the, the the type of plant, a type of cannabis plant that the you know, wild type of cannabis plant that the the, the fact the seeds shatter is is the um expression you know they they just fall off the plant as the plant matures that's a really defining trait of something that you would no longer consider to be a domesticate it was no it was no longer a land race in other words you know in, in okay if we're talking in you know in somewhere where you have land races being cultivated something that's so weedy that the, the seeds just drop off the plant that's a, right. that's a, like a wild type plant you know it's a formerly yeah, it sounds like all, almost unrecognizable compared to the cannabis plants we see nowadays. It's um, like, is it well, just I mean, no, the, leaf the leaf? Yeah. yeah, the leaf is so distinctive that that yeah, you obviously know what it is when you see it. But yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, it's um, they that the what what happens is you know because you you could take anything you're smoking now if you were to just chuck that in a in a on the ground in the seeds of like you know skunk number one or whatever. Mm -hmm. in on the ground in a bit of the world where cannabis just naturalizes you know where it's comfortable to to grow within uh i don't know 10 20 generations it will revert back to a, a really weedy looking plant you know even skunk would do that eventually you know mm -hmm. and um because it, it's it's it in in the genome that it has that it has the, the the still that um all those survival mechanisms that it's developed over you know 28 million years of evolution or whatever it mm -hmm. will um the, the leaves will that like the areas the area of the leaves will in the course of it turning back into like a weed the, the mm -hmm. leaf area will shrink the from you know um the total kind of area of the of the leaf you know get much smaller leaves and um mm -hmm. the leaflets the leaflets themselves will get more narrow and um the seeds will get much smaller and often the seeds will develop a 
kind of elongated base on the bit of the seed that attaches to the to the plant you know the blunt mm. the seed as it were yeah and um it gets a kind of a horseshoe um shape on the bottom of it and this Ooh. this kind of snaps off this is to enable the seed to snap off as it matures and and the the seeds will fall off the plant as it flowers and then the seeds themselves um uh of these wild type plants um they won't, they don't germinate the way that um properly cult properly domesticated you know land races or modern hybrid seeds germinate you know you stick some modern hybrid seed in a you know in, in some damp compost and 48 hours later it's probably going to be going you know 24 mm -hmm. hours even sometimes mm -hmm. if you stick these wild um types of um cannabis seed in, in in some compost maybe some of them will be going in the in, in a few days you might have you know 40 percent, 50 percent will start going if, if it's a little bit um domesticated but you'll have some that may not do anything for two years you know wow yeah yeah, that's a long time, man. Is this something to do with the environment? What's it like in India, for example? You know, because we have the winter and the summer here in the northern sun of southern hemisphere, because the angle of the earth and all that. But the equator is pretty stable the whole year uh, round, right? I mean, India, um, India, you, you know, goes all the way from like thirty-six degrees north down to like eight degrees north, practically down on the right. equator. You know, so mm -hmm. northern India, Kashmir and stuff—that's basically Central Asia. You know. Mm -hmm. um, Eastern India, you're basically in Southeast Asia, you know. So, it's a it's it's a the, the country really spreads out across different zones. It's got, um, but up in up in the north, yeah. I mean, um, anywhere north of like uh, the Ganges River, so sort of twenty five degrees northish. Anywhere north of there in India, uh, cannabis does grow like a weed. You know, you will find it just all around the place. But Damn. the reason for the um, the reason for that delayed germination trait. Um, uh, with the seeds is a is a survival thing so if you imagine like um you know spring comes along in this place that um where cannabis grows naturally you know there's all these seeds that have fallen fallen around this plant um during the previous season they've stayed dormant in the soil over winter spring comes along and they start germinating for for cannabis to survive it's a really bad idea for it to just put all its eggs in one basket and immediately yeah. for everything to germinate mm. Because maybe mm. some frost comes along and wipes them all out, you know. Uh, so there's a so there's a survival reason for for this kind of delayed germination trait that the wild plants yeah. have. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's this deep, it is isn't it? The, the shit this plant does, man. It's just it never ceases to amaze me. There's always something new. I'll learn about something this plant does. That it's just like, damn, this mm. plant's smart, man. <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff in in um. I mean, it's, you know. I would love to sell um, really kind of wild type cannabis seeds, and we have we did do a few times. But the problem is, is that um, you know they're they're tricky to germinate, and um, mm. if you know if I, I I would put in the description like you know these are wild type seeds, and I'll put a little link in. But people often won't read it; they'll just buy them, and then they'll and then they'll write them an email saying, "Hey, you know your seeds are shit; they didn't germinate." And I'll say, "Did you?" you You've got to give it six months, bro. Wait. Well, no, <laughs> I've had two emails. Years, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing. I've had I have literally had emails like um from people who who did know what they were getting in for, who um grew sort of we've still got it on the site, the one called Nanda Davy. It's a Himalayan um strain that's like it has um it's a kind of a bit of a paradoxical one because it, it can be really quite strong by the standards of Himalayan um charis plants, charis land races, mm. and it's mm. grown 
specifically for making charis in the way that in bits of the Himalaya, the, the, the bit of the Himalaya that it's from, most people will grow a kind of a multi-purpose land race, which they, they'll grow it for the big fat seeds to eat. They'll grow it for the fibers for making clothes or, or, or rope or shoes and that kind of stuff. And they'll also make charis from it. But some farmers just grow this Nandadevi one. That's, that's our name that we gave it. But they grow mm -hmm. it specifically because it makes much better charis, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, it's stronger and, you know, like, um, but just to put that in context. So um, I, I remember a, a guy in Spain grew it and was really impressed with it. It's like it's got a really nice kind of very um, euphoric, um, zingy kind of a high. He was really happy with it and he took his plant the plant he'd grown along for analysis and it was like 11 12 percent thc which again doesn't sound like very much but yeah if you for that make, type of plant though yeah yeah if you imagine you're making hand rub charis out of that right so you're gonna have a piece of charis that i mean i don't know how it works out but it's gonna be way more than like 20 it's gonna be like 20 30 percent thc i guess once you've hand rubbed some charis from a 12 percent plant you know i mean like, mm -hmm. I'm, that's pure spec it's, it's gonna be strong that's the point but this is um the, 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 this this Davy plant also uh has quite a kind of sort of a wild edge to it you know it's um it it, it could be a bit tricky to germinate like you might get kind of 70 percent will appear really quickly and then you'd have other seeds that will just turn up like it'll just decide to do something two months later i had one guy write to me and say hey you know like I was moving some compost outside and I think many cannabis growers have had this experience, moving some compost or something outside, chuck some compost in the garden. And then one of these Nandadevi seeds must have been in there and it like germinated like was it two years or three years later. He's got this uh, turning up, you know. And you and, think that's like evolutionary programmed into those seeds to not germinate until mm -hmm. two or three Oh, sure, yeah. So seasons down the road. Yeah. If you picture what it's like in a village where they grow cannabis in the Himalayas, right? Like um, like I was saying, people, people. One of the main reasons that people are growing the plant there isn't just to get to make charis, and, that, and they don't make ganja or, or anything else. It's just it's only hand rubbed charis. That's the that's how you smoke or uh, cannabis in those places. And um, but they have they'll have the seeds around as a as like particularly in the winter time to eat as a snack. Like people believe it really warms you up and. It, it's like a thing like you know they, they make different drinks out, out of the seeds they'll kind of make like cannabis milk and sort of drinks wow. out of it mm. and um the understanding is that they, they talk about it as like a heating food or a warming food you know like it like in a, in a kind of elemental sense you know like you've got your hot hot foods and your cooling foods like kind of in chinese medicine or something you know mm. Mm -hmm. and uh, cannabis is understood to be like a warming food so you eat it in the winter but if you picture, like, you know, like someone's walking around the village and they might just toast them and eat them as a snack or whatever, but they're going to mm -hmm. just have these bags of seeds around in that type of place like the Himalayas. And, you know, you drop, you drop some somewhere or you hand rubbing some charis and some seeds fall down the side of the house or whatever. They, they just germinate and grow. And then before you know it, like generations on, you've just got like bits of patches of weedy, weedy cannabis. You know, they're, they're, they're reverting towards, like we're talking about the... um the more weedy style of plant you know as they as they just self-sow themselves around so they're all around and they're dropping pollen and that's hitting the cultivated plants so you've got what they call a, a crop weed complex right which is a sort of botanical term meaning that you've got like the the kind of weedy versions of cannabis and the, and the domesticated versions and they're just this sort of 
they're in this continual interchange of genetics you know <laughs> and um so yeah those those kind of more wild traits will pass back into the cultivated populations which is actually a good thing uh from the point of view of a farmer working in those kind of extreme environments like the himalayas you know where one third of the year it's just shitting with rain and it, like it, you know june to september it's just dumping vast amounts of rain september to october november when the plants are flowering it's like really clear and sunny and then winter it's brutally fucking cold you know and it's like cannabis really needs to be pretty fucking resilient to like make its way through that seasonal cycle you know so yeah yeah actually if, if it's having these traits characteristics conferred on it by the wild populations that um is a good thing you know it yeah. just gives it resistance and resilience and that's why uh, modern crop breeding programs are interested in in this type of material because the problem is is when you select particularly in a quite haphazard way that's happened in the like prohibition era you you can end up with some plants that they might be quite well adapted to growing in pots under lights and stuff but you stick them out in a in a in a, in, a, in, a, in a, you know outside in a world that's increasingly suffering from severe climate disruption and they might not do so well you know some disease comes along wipes them all out you know that's why it's good to have um a, a really big diverse yeah um range of things to choose from and breed from you know mm -hmm. damn man you, you know so much about cannabis and you know the culture the history and stuff we have a we had a question in the chat here from a mm. From Silasin, and he says, "Has Angus thought about writing a book about well, uh, old world cannabis strains and cultivation? I would definitely buy it. <laughs> there's a potential buyer, and I'm sure there's lots of people who feel the same way as well. That you know, to get a book with the kind of information that you know, which not many people have that kind of knowledge. You know, that you might specialize in plants and stuff, but specifically cannabis, the way you do, there's a lot of good knowledge, man, and good information. Would you consider putting that down on paper, or have you already done that?" Um, it's, you know, funnily enough, and again, people will know who've listened to, to, to me sort of rambling on in, on other um, podcasts. Um, it's actually what I started doing this project for, right? So I never intended to get, um, to have the site as a permanent thing. It was like something I was going to do for like three or four years, uh, you know, collect the seeds and sell the seeds just to make enough money to to do the traveling to write a book rather than mm. doing the conventional way which was which is to if you're writing a non-fiction book normally what you'll do is approach the publisher first you'll give them a few chapters and a, and, a, and a book plan and if they think that it's worthwhile then they will um give you an advance to go and do the book but i didn't want to kind of i you know I just it just seemed to me more fun and actually make more sense to um pay for it myself through the seed collecting and of course you know i, don't know, I have friends who write books um who just seem to be able to just churn them out uh, but for me I, I i've never really written stuff that is is i i want to write the book that i would want to read you know and i've mm -hmm. just never written stuff that has been what i would want to read uh, I'm I'm getting there. You know, most of the most of the summers when I'm at home in the UK, I will devote as much time as I can to doing some 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 writing. But um, 
sometimes I really enjoy it. Sometimes I just find it a massive fucking headache and, and don't yeah. enjoy it. Um, I've yeah, got for sure you have to be in the right mood for it, it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, I, it, I've got stacks and stacks of like draft chapters. And the reason I can ramble on like the way I do is because I've spent time writing. You know, if you really want to know about something, um, yeah, you can re read books, but for the information, for me at least, and I think for many people, for the information to really get hold in your mind and really settle in your mind and stay in your mind, writing is it, writing about it really is a takes your 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 retention of it and understanding of it to a, mm -hmm. to, a to a more solid level, you know. And you know, you yeah. have to be able to explain it as well. That's part yeah. of writing. When you're writing about something, you're trying to explain it to somebody. And they say, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old, you don't really understand it yourself. Yeah, there's some truth in that, I think. And um, the thing is that what slows me down or has slowed me down, I don't know, over, 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 over all this, but I want to write something that's actually fun to read. You know, it was, it was right. what, I, what I always wanted to do is like a kind of a travel uh, travel so it's all the all the facts and the history and the culture and all that is based based around the sort of travel narrative you know so to give people a real sense of what it's like to be in these places and and the conversations you have and, and the general you know vibe of it and the crazy shit that happens like, like a, just just to write a factual book like a, a textbook about land races that's not actually too difficult you could do that fairly not not easy <laughs> writing books isn't easy unless you're a, mm. you're a bit of a freak but it, it's it's not it's not so challenging, but to, to do something that's actually entertaining and uh, exciting is 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 more difficult, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to, to 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 get the right balance. It, but it's it's good fun to do, and this project I was talking about that I've sent the seeds into, that's going to give me loads of data that I can use uh, to 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 really have a make it that much more interesting because I, I want to combine. My thing has always been, you know, like I like I like science, I like uh, art, I like literature, you know, and I don't think that they should be treated as two separate realms that don't ever meet i think you can combine them both together quite well you know so mm. at some point i'll get it together you know hopefully before i get hit by a bus or whatever <laughs> uh, 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 or until know. the nukes come you know yeah whatever you know whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah man, i think many people want to read a uh, write their own book but it's, it's one of them things it's yeah, yeah, like you say, it's difficult to write something that you actually enjoy yourself, and the amount of time it takes for you to read a book—you know, at least months. After three months, you go back and read what you wrote three months ago, and you're like, "Ooh, yeah, that's a bit shit, that is." <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and then you got to start again. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's clearly it's something you've done a bit of yourself, right? I mean, I know exactly yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. What was it you were? What was it you were writing about? Specifically, well, writing shitloads of articles on Percy's Grow Room, you know the uh, yeah, yeah, okay, website, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's one thing. I've got articles on there that are like three years old, and you know, you go back and read, mm. you're like, I let that pass. But yeah, <laughs> that's why. Yeah, it's just finding time to redo it again. That's a mission. You know, the information in there is good. It just don't like the way it's worded and structured. And the the more yeah, you yeah. write, the better you get at it. And then you oh. go back and look at your yeah. previous work, and it's just not to standard. That's that's the that's the thing, and um, that's one of those things. And and then it's also when you've introduced an element of, for me at least, um, I I really want to do this travel travel type book, mm -hmm. but the personal stuff, the kind of when it's a personal thing and it's about you and you're the kind of character in the story, I'm not a hundred percent comfortable with that. Like um, mm. so like you're saying, sometimes you read it and you just think, oh, stylistically, I don't like this. But sometimes if it's something where actually you're a character in the narrative 
and I, and I found myself reading it and I thinking like, who, who is this guy? He's a bit of a bit of a dickhead, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and, sound like a right cunt in here. <laughs> yeah, what a wanker, you know. And, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and and that's because that, I like I look at like I said, I have uh, friends of mine who 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 are investigative investigative journalists and stuff who who write really well um write write stuff about corruption i don't know if you've heard of a book called Moneyland, for example that's one that a mate of mine did recently um a guy called oliver bullo it kind of um, rings a bell but did pretty well if you live in london and stuff there were posters all over because it was all about like the money laundering out of russia and all this ukraine stuff long before it really kicked off you know right, so, right um, yeah offshore and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and and you know he like uh he does he does a good job of that and i don't think it of, of getting the balance between um personal and, and factual and whatever mm-hmm. but i have other friends who do you know not big celebrities or anything but they are kind of names you would know i'm not going to say it but it doesn't really matter but the point is i see what having a persona like a public persona can do to people like mm-hmm. in the sense of like when you're someone whose face that people recognize and who mm-hmm. um an unknown name and, and you have this weird disconnect between like public me and like actual me yeah. you know switch yeah. on you, you know the mask put the mask on yeah it's, it's not like your character yeah i just want to be clear it's not like i'm worried about i'm, I'm getting get famous when i'm saying like <laughs> i don't have any great desire for that i'm not highly motivated by it at all you know and mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and and i just see these sort of like destinations that you could end up if you do get su- successful if you do write something really good it's like I just want to write a book that I know that like teenage me would fucking love to read. You know, that's but, really but the don't, of my ambition. Don't you want a Lambo though, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the time I've got that together, I'll be like, you know, yeah, but yeah, no is the answer. And I, don't... <laughs> I did when I was like 10, I thought they were cool as fuck, you know. But... Mm-hmm. And now it's like, I ain't getting in there. <laughs> yeah. How am I getting all the way down there, man? Fuck. Hawaiian shirt and um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, big cigar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like, I like Hawaiian shirts. I'm not so sure about um, who was it? Like Hawaii Five O or something? Was it? Mm-hmm. Was that what? Is that, is that the right one? They're driving around in like um Lamborghinis or Testarossas or some shit. Anyway, I've got to know. But Miami Vice, I think that was. Huh? Is that my, Miami Vice? Yeah, yeah. I fucking yeah, yeah. love the theme tune from that. Damn. <laughs> not, not getting any takers on the on the on love for the Miami Vice theme tune. Just random tangent there about Lambos. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, we have another question here from uh, yeah. Solison. He asks, uh, "Can Angus talk about where the world different flavors come from? What, what do you mean? Where in the world different flavors come yeah, from?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean. So you know, we went over the whole kind of sativa versus indica. Mm-hmm. South Asia tropical zones are where you get the 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 the, the you know the classic sativa, mm-hmm. the, the origin of things like haze, you know, real narrow leaflets, all that. In um, fields, if if you imagine yourself in a field of sativa land races like a Thai or Lao or Kerala or whatever, you know, you, you, we all kind of know what they look like, you know, real long narrow leaflets and everything. And, they can make big cola, like you know. I just, I just really like imagine that. myself at peace in a field of sativas. Yeah, yeah. yeah really. it's a good place to like, be. Yeah, go to your special cave, you know, like yeah. a Fight Club where he goes to the ice cave with the penguin. 
You know, right. yeah, that, that's kind of my spot. The the ganja field with the sativas, the hazes. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's a good place to be. Definitely, a good, <laughs> good life goal. That's for sure. Yeah, but um, smell wise, if you're in these places, it, like if you're if you're going down the rows of plants and and you know checking out each individual plant, there will be in in a field of sativas. There's a quite a clear. Um, shared aroma profile you know you might get like some you might get for example two dominant the two, two two clear main types you know so in the highland tie that we've got there's uh color wise there's two definite clear distinct variants in in a field of that highland tie there's the purple ones and then there's the like lime green ones and the purple ones tend to to be quite kind of mango carroty type smelling i'm talking very generally whereas the 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 the, the the, the lime green ones tend to have this kind of musky citrus aroma that's I think much nicer. Um, but that's that's quite a it's quite well defined that like that strain that has those two sort of main aroma profiles. If if you put to, to pick another um, uh, example like the kind of ones we get from around Central Lao that I that I've, I've kind of sold them under various different names like kind of Mekong I called them for a while or, or Mango Thai. Then you, you you might have like again two two main color types. You've got the kind of darker purpley leaning types, and then you've got the more green leaning types. And the green leaning types tend to be sort of more mango, uh, uh, musky, um, mangoey aromas. And then the the darker colored ones tend to lean more towards a kind of tobaccoy, chocolatey um, smell. That's in sativas because they've been really quite heavily selected. It's why they're so much more potent than the traditional hash plants. On a, on a plant basis you know like a, if you smoke the buds of the sativas they can be like 17 percent thc even back in the 70s or whatever you know damn just that's just on old kind of 1970s government tests and stuff right, right. But it's not like it's just just an indicator of how strong they can be you know they, they can go well above that i'm sure you know uh that's because of a lot of selection so it's narrowed down the gene pool all that selection by contrast if you go up to the hindu kush if you're in like tira valley or somewhere if you walk through a field of the land races in Tira Valley and like in the, in the, in the Pakistani Hindu Kush, kind of every individual plant can have its own different smell, you know, like they're recognizably all uh, definitely hash planty smells, but mm -hmm. there's just a lot more variation in that field, you know, Wow. Uh, like each individual one, you know, one can smell like kind of burnt rubber smells. One can be like, really kind of like strawberry fruity smelling you know just go along the row and like each kind of individual you know one smells like something out of a kind of a candy shop you know kind of tangy bootlace kind of green bootlace sugary candy smells you know i'm just remembering things that i from in the fields you know myself checking out the smells mm -hmm. and it's like same in chitral for example up in the mountains further up you know like every individual plant um has 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 that trait you know, like its own unique trait and the reason for that diversity is that hash plant growing hasn't had the, the technique the, the process that you go through it it doesn't have that intensity of selection you know mm -hmm. and uh what what the farmer does when he gets to the end of the process of uh, he'll, he'll you know the farmer the hash the hash farmer he'll cut down the plants and he'll pull all the seeds in the process of making the hash mm -hmm. consequently it's like all the flavors get mixed together 
yeah, it all gets mixed together and there's just never, there's never that same narrowing down that you get. If you say like, I'm just going to use this plant next year. I'm just going to take seeds from this really outstanding plant. I'm gonna, only right. going to use that in my garden next year. You know, mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. You, that is what you get in the sensimeter growing in the ganja growing in the tropics. Up in the north, you don't have that. You pull everything together and you might well be part of the reason being because you'll be keeping the seeds because they're also used for food, you know, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, um, in terms of so in terms of where the aromas come from and stuff it's like yeah it's primarily coming from people over the last you know eight thousand years or plus um thinking oh i like the smell of that and taking this taking the plant home you know right. in general when you talk when you hear like kind of um botanists and botanists talking about the origins of cannabis they kind of have this assumption that Oh, well, mostly humans are going to be int- have going to be interested in cannabis for the fiber and for the seeds. They forget that humans just love smelly stuff, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a big draw from big draw for cannabis is that it smells so fucking good, you know. Yeah, so most, no. just, yeah. just like in a, one of those old cartoons where the character smells something in the kitchen and lifts up off the floor and slowly floats <laughs> towards it. Oh, that's how it is, man. He's going past the ganja field and shit. Oh, Damn. Man. I want yeah. that weed. I definitely mm-hmm. want that weed, Mackie. I want that with the bat weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been to cannabis fields, right? Me, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. um the the um the the, the main the, the main places where I've done that has been in India, um, Pakistan and Laos. Mm-hmm. Um Afghanistan itself, Afghanistan proper, like, you know, over yeah. the border into Afghanistan. I've not, I've still not been, you know, Lucas went mm-hmm. and uh, then uh, some other friends of mine who work with us go there and, and have friends there who, who have helped us to source things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, it's, uh, it's very, it's not very easy, but it's pretty easy to do in, in, in certain bits of Asia to get into the fields. It's, it's more sketchy in some other plant and some other parts, you know, but yeah, friends of mine in Laos, you know, um, have fields and uh, uh, gardens and, you know, Sweet. yeah, it's... Uh, you chill, but ask a question here, which kind of relates to that as well. You know, all these different places that you've been, mm-hmm. asks, uh, where does Angus think there is the best potential for finding new slash unfamiliar slash previously unavailable genetics? Um, the best I, potential I, Mm. some untouched place in india somewhere <laughs> yeah i mean india's you know it's it, it there is a lot of diversity there and there are bits that i've still yet to get to that i'd love to to go to and um i think northeast india and around there is pretty interesting i like i have been up to manipur and um you know if you want to see like big fields like uh manipur <laughs> it's mental like uh if you can just imagine like a huge, huge, huge valley that like everything you can see is a cannabis field. It's, it's like that there, you know, and um, yeah, like, uh, like yeah, just, um, <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of, um, well, I mean, it's just, it's great fun just to go, uh, like, um, you know, you, you can go, you can like uh, rent, rent, a, rent a motorbike, or whatever, drive up out of the city, out, out of, out of the town, out up into the highlands. And you know, go up all these highland roads, and and before you know it, yeah, you'll just you'll just you'll just do some kind of find yourself going around a around a bend, and then suddenly this this whole lot hoves into view. Like that is what I think it is, isn't it? Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> it's wow. an entire 
hillside of ganja plants. And uh, yeah, like uh, they'll, they'll be actually pretty laid back about it around there for the most part. I mean, actually, right now, I don't recommend going because there's effectively a kind of civil war going on in the state. But um, if you go, if you go, um, yeah, like uh, unannounced, you know, unannounced, I see them from the road working up in the field, kind of wave to them and they like wave me, wave me over, you know, mm. like, uh, yeah, come, come on up, you know, and, and like you, you to get up the mountainside, you're having to just work your way through these sort of, so they'd be kind of a meter and a half tallish sativas. They're not getting that tall because they're not on good enough land to get super tall, but like real sticky, sticky, sticky um, buds, you know, the, the ones I sold as a cruel, um, right. for example. And the ones I uh, sold as uh, Manipuri are from down in the valley from the Meite growers. And the Meite growers tend to work on somewhat smaller fields than up in the hills where the um, Naga people are farming it. Mm. The, the, the Naga, Naga communities don't really smoke themselves, but they sow these huge fields of it. So, uh, and then in between them, sometimes you'll get Cookie, who are another, it sounds funny, but cookie as in k-u-k-i cookie communities who are one of the other highland minorities over in we're talking northeast india now just for clarity like mm -hmm. right over towards burma over towards thailandish direction you know so like manipur borders with burma and if you were to take a, a, a you know a, a train a few hundred kilometers through burma you'd then get into to, to, to thailand so the people right. in the mountains up there in, in in northeast india if you were to see a picture of them and guess like where are they from you, you you'd think like sort of burma burma thailandish that their, their faces often they look like that you know <laughs> and um or you know a bit tibetan if you kind of a little bit of tibetanness in it kind of yeah, slightly yeah. skinned you know and mm, um, and uh yeah like um the um cookie cookie guys would sometimes be growing huge fields of opium like right in full sight of the road you know and wow. just shoot those time, poppies out there oh yeah yeah and, and more and more unfortunately it's like uh getting to be a kind of more popular choice because the wow. more they crack down on if if someone goes comes along and eradicates the cannabis often they'll switch to, like this has happened in himachal like around uh milana and places uh a lot of the farmers were having so much pressure from the cops over their ganja over their um charis fields that um they made the choice that actually I'm going to switch to doing opium. It's a shorter season and it's, uh, can, we can do it at a time period when it's harder for the cops to get up to the, to the fields, you know? Right. Anyway, in, in, in Manipur, it's kind of almost a free for all at, at this point. And again, they were, they were like the first time I did that route, I went along and like, uh, I was just like, fuck a duck, you know, it's like a huge field of opium poppy. And I'm sort of thinking, do I get my camera out and just take a snap? And I'm kind of worrying about this, like thinking it's possibly not a very good idea. And as I'm kind of having this conversation with, with myself, this guy is just pacing down the field towards me. And I'm thinking, oh, fucking hell, like get back on the bike and just make a run for it if he's not happy. And then I say, like, take a picture of me, mate. Take a picture. Yeah, you got to the punchline. <laughs> it wasn't actually that, but he um, he uh, he just produced, he had in his hand this, uh, I, I, if you imagine a boot polish tin, you know, old right. boot polish tin, just mm -hmm. you <laughs> to pop the lid, yeah. Yeah, and he's just offering me this tin of opium to buy, you know. To buy? Oh, that, that's lame. Yeah, yeah, he's just coming down the field <laughs> to, like, flog me some of his newly harvested opium. It's a wow. fucking tin as well. Damn. Yeah, yeah, it's like, a, if you imagine a small boot polish tin, and that's like, it's like a, a toller, basically, 
like 12 grams ish. Damn, like a kiwi, you know, kiwi boot polish. That's what I mean. You've got a little yeah, yeah. thing, like twist that, pop that open. Damn, yeah. a small tin of that of opium. Yeah, Damn. Yeah. And, Crazy. I'm not even going to tell you the prices because I'm not going to encourage people to go. <laughs> no, I think you already have. There's people in the chat talking about going on a strain hunt over there. Right. So, yeah. Uh, no, don't you, you. To be fair, like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of gabbing away, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a no-go zone at the minute anyway. They've got a properly mm. nasty um, ethnic conflict going on at the minute. Uh, burning each other's villages down and, and stuff. It's like, yeah. So the Meitei, the Meitei down in the valley, in Imphal, the, the, the capital of Manipur state, are uh, yeah. mostly Hindus, yeah. and I have a Muslim minority which was which has a pretty good relationship with the Hindu um, majority, who are all ethnically Meitei, mm-hmm. speak a specific language, you know. And uh, up in the hills, you have um, Naga and Kuki, other the main groups, and they are, um, uh, you know, a pro- properly um, Highland communities. The Naga used to be headhunting, uh, headhunting kind of. Um, uh, warrior groups you know um but all got converted to evangelical christianity but anyway they have a very the, the cookie particularly communities have a very tense relationship with the metei they've taken to burning each other's village is down they're shooting at each other and the central government in india the bjp uh, modi government just don't seem to give a fuck and they're just wow. letting it just go boil out of control you know that's crazy yeah has the government just letting it get out of control? That's, that's mental. It's a majoritarian, um, quite um, nationalistic, kind of slightly fascisty form of political Hinduism that's quite strong in India at the minute, right. since, since Modi's been around. So you're just going to let them kill each other until there's only one side left or something? Uh, I, I, he's got a track record for doing that. Like um, yeah. Gujarat... Uh, long before he was a famous politician beyond just being the chief minister in Gujarat over in West India, he did that. He let um, a kind of revenge riot run where, like, you know, trainfuls of Muslims got slaughtered by the Hindus. I'm not taking yeah. sides here, but I'm just saying, like, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a responsible, just any responsible politician would stop that from happening. Yeah. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what their own personal opinions are. It's like, but yeah, so he's he's got a bit of a track record for letting letting the mob um yeah, live so out the worst so don't go there all right Everybody uh, yeah i mean it's a, <laughs> manipur is a lovely place by the way great people really like it beautiful scenery and um, delicious food a lot of people there speak really good english i've got good friends there who are lovely who are who are mate hindu people you know mm-hmm. um, who would not endorse any of this at all you know be absolutely horrified by it but um the um uh, yeah, so you know, when when all this dies down, I can definitely recommend going there. Um, in terms of like really good ganja in India, there are other places that I would choose over there in terms of places to go to. So I reckon like Orissa and Andhra Pradesh, which are further south down on, along the east coast, have nicer land races than Manipur. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and yeah, don't I mean, you know. <laughs> I, if people are seriously contemplating going to these places, you 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 have to tune in to how it works. You know, you you've got to know the, what the what the unspoken codes and rules of behaviour are, and wandering around clearly out of your tits on opium and ganja <laughs> with <laughs> with pockets full of boot polish, tins full of opium, not likely to end well. I can so, see that. 
Yeah, you've got to be a bit yeah subtle about it and a bit discreet and just respectful in what you do. You know, yeah. choose your time and place and yeah, I mean, yeah, obvious obvious stuff to say. But I'm just saying, I, I'm not trying to. I just don't. I don't want to be responsible for getting anyone in trouble. You know, of um, course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, just imagine some beautiful sights out there. I've never been to India. It would be a place I would like to go because it just you know across that Himalaya there, where it just looks like there's some beautiful places. Difficult to get to, I assume. But you know, nice man. It's just just beautiful places, man. Best best views in the world, um, in the Indian Himalaya, in my opinion, especially Kumaon. Just wow. the most phenomenal um uh vistas that you can imagine. You know, like I'm talking hundreds of kilometer horizon, you know, where you can wow. see all the way into Nepal, all the way to the source of the Ganges and uh, over on the west side and all the way into Nepal and the east side, and between that hundreds of kilometers of extraordinarily beautiful mountains like seven thousand close to eight thousand meters high peaks all along the horizon you know just outstandingly beautiful it was it was the place where um travelers would go and the mountaineers would go before nepal opened up so if you go back to the 1930s kind of early mountaineers early mountaineers would go to kamaon and garwal to do the peaks there uh, they wouldn't, you know, just because it was so much more difficult to get into Nepal. And it's also where the British um, uh, would um, uh, build a lot of their, um, uh, what do you call it, um, the summer the summer seats for government of the states, you know, like when it was just way too hot to, to be down on the plane and stay sane, you know. Mm. They would move up to places like Nainital and things to, in the summer to, to, to do the administration from up in there. And yeah, you just have these phenomenal views, you know. Um, Indian friend of mine um, in 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 Kamaun, um has a house that um, uh, used to belong to the British, and um, uh, you could sit in like their kitchen and look out of the window and see what I've just been describing, and it's just like it's it's almost kind of surreal, you know. It's like is this real? <laughs> what I'm looking at? Yeah. I really recommend people to go there if they if they get a chance. It's like we it's, kind of had a question here that relates yeah. to it. It's uh, from Filmy Bowles. He asked, in his journeys, what was the hardest that was to get in close with the native people for them to trust you? You know, was it difficult to build relationships with the natives when you were over there? In, a, in, a, in the natives. <laughs> yeah, the natives. Yes, the natives. Yeah. In the jungles, <laughs> you know, in the jungles of India. The native, native people. Come here. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, um... Yeah, Thailand was the was the, the place that was always notoriously the most difficult to get close to anyone who was farming. Right. And the, is that because of law, though? Does yeah, it just used to be that the consequences for them of getting busted were just so horrific that it, why would you do it? You know, it's like, why would you... Like, if you imagine, like, again, some Japanese tourist who's into weed comes to England, why would you show them your grow room, you know? Why would you bring them around to you? I'd say, oh yeah, come and take photos of my grow room. It's just, you know, think of it in that sense, right? So right. it's like, um, like I, I, I did uh, get to a point where um, uh, I got to know the family of a guy who did grow. And it was kind of funny because this is in, in, in Thailand. Uh, yeah, old school uh, rice farmer, you know, in, in actually in central Thailand, not in, not in the sort of historically famous bits that are up in the Northeast, which are where all the Thai stick used to come from. This guy was down in central Thailand, not all that far from Bangkok. He was in Chonburi, out in the, out in the provinces of Chonburi, so in the really good rice land down there. 
uh, where they grow a lot of the gatom and stuff, you know, gatom, gatom. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? The the like the red the legal high resin stuff that you get from yep. the tree. Yeah. And um and um anyway, I got to know this uh guy um through my girlfriend at the time, who was Thai, and um she <laughs> it's funny, she like she'd known for ages that I was really into smoking. I'd like you know, I was having I was like I'd be smoking like morning to, to to night at that point and um every day and um suddenly she turns around to me after we've been together for months and she goes you know what my my um my uncle's a, a ganja farmer and i'm like now you fucking tell me <laughs> you know what took you so long man <laughs> yeah it's like but it was great it was like all right and then the next thing i know we're like kind of in the farm going up to 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 like her uncle's um farm uh, in the castle going up to her uncle's farm and um Along the way, we're like stopping at all these gatom. Uh, like I don't know how people pronounce it in the UK, but it's gatom in in Thai. It's the, the, the it's like a big you know big tree that um the leaves um produce this kind of opium like sort of ish um wow. uh, resin that um you, if you get the gatom um, extracts, I think it's all been banned in the UK now. But the farmers chew this uh, gatom stuff as uh, um uh the, like the farm laborers you know they'll chew it to mm -hmm. kind of get them through the heat and the, and the physical ache that's like you know i think i've probably talked about it before it's like a, yeah. actually a lot of the use of these substances like ganja and and opium and gatom and stuff it's more about like taking the edge off the the wear and tear and the general physical discomfort of their daily job you know mm -hmm. um so yeah that they'll they'll use gatom for like you know working in, out in the sun in the rice paddies and stuff um and uh yeah she so we're stopping off on the way to see her uncle like in these all these different places where they've got these huge gratom trees and stuff and then we get to his his place and uh yeah he was just um he'd, he'd grow it down the the sides of like fields of corn and stuff you know in right. in, in rows between the court in between fields of mm -hmm. corn it's quite a common way to to, yeah, to nice stuff. Rows. and um uh yeah and um uh then what happened was, um, yeah, had a, a bit of a kind of um, sudden dramatic breakup um, and uh, completely lost touch with him. And because uh, it was all through like her and her um, brother, you know, and right. like I, I couldn't get hold of him and she just wasn't talking to me anymore. So <laughs> it's like, Man. fuck. Because she, she, she literally at this point that we've got all the seeds sorted and everything. And then like she just has this fucking freak out. And so, OK, that's two things down the pan but um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, did you get any seeds from thailand do you still have some strains from thailand like land yeah yeah we've got um too. highland thai which is uh, from way up on the um, border with burma very different mm -hmm. kind of plant from the plant down in chonburi yeah. highland thai is much more um you know it's got big seeds um big leaves like big in the quite broad leafleted leafleted sense of big because it's probably um it's like compared compared to down in chonburi like we're talking down right down by bangkok really tropical humid you know sultry heavy weather a lot most of the year round you know thick mm. kind of moist air you know it's um like it's a greenhouse place to grow ganja as it is up in isan where you've got drier air in the in the flowering season even right. like you know mm. And then you go, we're going, and then even further north again, you're going up to the border with Burma, where the Highland Thai comes from. That sort of um, areas like Mehongson, um, 
where you know you can cross back like the the, the local tribal minorities up there and we're really not that far away from like Manipur where I was talking about before you know just for, to put it in context if that if people are piecing it all together in, in their heads like, I, like a geography ripped. lesson yeah sorry <laughs> but yeah it's really useful to get a sense of the feel of the geography because then it all starts mm -hmm. to piece together you know so we're talking yeah. like you, when you get up into these highland areas up nearer to China and Burma and North, Northern Burma and Western Burma and stuff, you've got these very challenging environments like tropical highlands. And then you have a lot more ethnic diversity up there. You have groups that have kind of basically chosen to be up there because they want to get away from whichever is the dominant lowland group, you know? So they want to get away from the Chinese. They want to get away from the Thais or they want to get away from the Lao, whatever. Mm -hmm. So you've got groups like the La and the, the Akka and the Taiyai and whatever, all, all these different um, uh, communities up there. And a lot of them will just cross backwards and forwards over the border between Thailand and Burma. Like they don't give too much of a shit about the border. They'll, and they'll make money, you know, bringing like um, amphetamines across the border from Burma into Thailand or opium, or they might grow a bit of ganja. And then the Taiyai themselves just traditionally grow really good ganja anyway. Right. But the strains they've got up there, uh, often uh, um, look like they've probably um, like a Chinese um, hemp strain, but hemp, not like kind of uh, European hemp. Chinese hemp tends to smell really fucking good, you know, mm -hmm. um, often it has really big seeds, uh, really big leaves, broad leafleted leaves, like long, broad leafleted leaves, very domesticated, basically, you know, right. Mm -hmm. the product of like thousands of years of Chinese cannabis growing, but grown primarily as a seed crop, like down in places like um, Yunnan, a seed and fiber crop, you know, so it was a, it was a, it was a, one of the, the five like major grain crops of, tra of traditional Chinese culture was cannabis, you know, uh, going way back and also growing for fiber. But then you seem to have got, I don't know, some 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 hybridization has happened somewhere along the route between uh, but, but along the way between a like a chinese hemp and a thai ganja plant so the, a lot of the shan and burmese like the burmese the shan the, the, the thai thai yai or um, i forget what they call themselves uh, i think it is uh, anyway the lot of their strains have like a, a hollow stem like a fiber plant does you know but they produce right. really right. strong like really strong really smelly lovely lovely aromas um probably some of my favorite you know um uh ganja you know and um we've got um if you look on our on our site we've got the highland high and then we've got one i've just called burmese um which a lao mm -hmm. friend of mine got from uh their friend lao friend who just did it like was it is a toker you know and um he did a trip into burma for some reason uh and um just was whilst he was there with some shan he was smoking their weed and was like just really impressed with how good it was and was like give me some seeds so i can grow this myself at home you know nice yeah so that's our burmese it's got some pretty good reviews everyone says it smells fucking lush you know if you like a real kind of um rich richly aromatic uh gangery smells you know mm-hmm mm -hmm. You've traveled a lot, man. And Chilbert, I see about your travels as well, because I know Chilbert's done some traveling too. He's, yeah, he has. Yeah, yeah. He has, uh, has Angus been up the Parvati? Parvati? Parvati, Parvati yeah. 
to uh, Manny Karan, Manny Karan, is that? Manny Karan, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, and Milana Tosh, etc. Yeah, Milana Tosh and and all those villages along um along Parvati Valley. Yeah, it's um. And do they have the best hash in the world? <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's the best at all. It's like um, it's got a really uh good reputation, but it's a hash wise. It's like yeah. L- let's be clear. It's fucking lovely. And if someone gave me some now, I would be over the moon. <laughs> but. It's the kind of thing like you just don't see that much these days in the UK. Like if anyone had it around in the past, it was always me or a couple of mates of mine, you know, who yeah. people had it in in my world. But um, it, it is really fucking nice. Having said which, it's a bit like um, if you think of a comparison with like uh, with like bud bud strains that you have some strains that have like really really good bag appeal. Like the, they mm. look fucking great. They're like covered in crystals. They look just lush you know mm-hmm. beautiful colors but when you actually smoke them it's a bit of a like you know yeah bag appeal was all it had yeah yeah that's like a really that's harsh but parvati stuff can be a bit like that in the sense that it's just fantastically sticky it's just mm-hmm. the most incredibly sticky stuff and it smells fantastic you know it really does rosol is my famous if you go to rosol which is another of these villages in parvati uh, that's my favourite of the of them. If you get like the classic Rosoli, it's got this wonderful kind of multi-sweet floral aroma, and it's got a kind of amber colour. It's very distinctive. But if you um if you smoke it, yeah, you can get of course really good stuff, and it and it is nice. But in terms of the effect, if you compare it to the other bits of the Himalaya where it, where they really haven't been contaminated by foreign genetics much. The problem with Parvati is you've had loads of people bringing Dutch genetics in there for quite a long time now. And there's just more and more that's really starting to show in terms of how it, how, how what the buzz is like. It's got a much more stony, heavy buzz that's so, not. So there's Dutch weed coming over to India and, and mixing with the land races out there, out there. Is that what you're saying? In Parvati, it has been for quite a while. Like right. um, you can well, even like see kind of, or, or since uh, cannabis was legalized in the Netherlands. Oh, uh, it's been as long as like I would guess it's probably been. You've had the occasional person bringing seeds up there for at least twenty plus years, and I've heard probably even longer than that. Uh, right. You know, since since we've had like you know since since the since the since the era of the Amsterdam seed industry. I would say that there's a fair chance that people have been bringing some seeds up there. Um, and uh, you can really, really feel it. If you know Him- Himalayan hash well, the effect is just very different from a lot of Parvati stuff. And, it, and it's got more and more like that over the years. Um, like I went I went to, I forget the name of the village, just a little bit further up from Manikaran and bought some stuff there a few years ago. And really, it just smelled like... Um, typical hindu kush skunk that you smell people smoking in in the uk a lot you know Mm -hmm. Um, i don't know what names they give it these days but you know that real kind of um hashy hash yeah (laughs) but not but not hash it's that because it's Mm -hmm. it's uh i mean it is but it's uh but it's that um yeah just skunky smell and you just don't get that in himalayan hash um yeah yeah no not at all so himalayan hash is um it's not 
So, you know, it, it, with, with land races, you've got three main zones. You've got your classic tropical sativas, you've got your indicas and the indicas, and then the Himalaya is like a third zone that's quite distinctive. Himalayan land races are like, they look like massive sativas, basically. They've got huge long leaves, but they can go even taller than like a sativa, so they can go beyond four meters. If you put them in good land, you can get a oh. Himalayan land race will go up to six meters, and they're very sativa-y looking in appearance, but they're clearly they're not, they're, they're, they're clearly their own thing, you know? And in terms of the yeah. smells and the aromas of them, if you're talking in the Indian Himalaya and then the Pauli Himalaya, not skunkiness is not a thing really. It's like you get a hint of hashiness once you get over to um, like what we would think of as classic sort of hashiness as you get over into Himachal and up into Kashmir. It, it gets more like that. But if you were to smell a plant, like a, just a, the, the fresh plant as it's growing, smell a Himalayan plant, it's very floral. It's very fruity floral smells of, the, of, of what you get when they're fresh very very floral you know mm. um, you can get kind of tangy tangy sort of aromas but that that dutch skunk smell is not not natural to them at all you know and oh. the, the effect of them is really not like skunk at all it's it, in in the sense that it's the, the effect of them is it's very positive euphoric uplifting all the words i always use to describe them you know it's mm. um parati stuff used to be more like that but as it's got more and more hybridized, it's got less and less like that. And uh, some people like it. It's, but it's not. I, I, I think Schilbert was up there in the like the late nineties. I think he said or that sort of era. It's he wouldn't fucking recognize it these days. It's totally changed. Um, it's become of tourism or something. Uh, yeah, tourism. But um, it's it's it, it was always uh, it was always a popular destination in the sense of. But it was the kind of it wasn't what we'd really call tourism in the in the sort of like go for a few days sense it was like most of the characters you'd meet up there if you met westerners they'd be the kind of dudes who'd like build themselves a cabin and like mm. live up there for years and stuff or, or, or you know spend a lot of the year there and yeah. uh, they'd be pretty low-key you know um yeah. now it's um it's much more popular with like city city kids from india like uh you know, they're like, like young professional indians from bombay delhi and that they'll go up there they might stay for a while you know um but um, it's got much more um, uh, kind of more like a, it's it's not chilled, you know, it's not like a relaxing place to hang out as in the way it used to be. It's much more kind of commercial, basically, you know. Yeah. Uh, not so far out in the sticks. It, there's, like, there's more people there now. Um, it's just a different atmosphere. It's sort of louder and busier, um, whereas it was pretty laid back in a, in a way that... Um, you know, it was like, yeah, this is somewhere, it, like, if I had the time, like, a lot of people just want to stick around, you know, you, you go there and you're like, oh, I could do it, I could do a few months here, if, I, if I've got the time, I would love to just stay here for uh, fucking forever, you know? Did you say you had a, a question from Billy there? Mostly? Yeah, there was a question earlier from Billy, he wanted to know if uh, Angus had got, has been to Turkmenistan or Uzbekistan for seed gathering. Yeah, so I haven't, uh, Lucas, um, who, uh, Lucas Stratzeri, um, he's done a book about his 2018 trip to Afghanistan, which you can find on the blog at my site, or um, if you uh, Google him, Lucas Stratzeri, he's done a sort of photography um, documentation and history of hash uh, based around his 2018 trip through northern Afghanistan. And uh, what he, like, this was something he just, like, did spontaneously we've been talking about it years and years ago when uh the second time we met up in um 
when, when we were both doing some seed hunting in in uh, India and Pakistan and stuff. Been talking for ages about doing this trip to Afghanistan. And then one day he just messaged me, messages me and says, "Oh, I'm in um, I'm in uh, Bukhara, I think it was in Uzbekistan, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm I've just discovered like that I can do a I can get a tourist visa for Afghanistan here and just like nip over the border across the um whatever it was the Amu Daria, the Oxus River or whatever it and uh, to Mazari Sharif, you know. So he mm-hmm. he he was in Uzbekistan then, and um, uh on the way back he got um arrested <laughs> at the border in ended up in a police station in uzbekistan and oh. uzbekistan is like uh i'd fucking love to have gone there like from a hash point of view and stuff in like 1860 i guess <laughs> wow you used to have an amazing like uh, used to have you know famously the best fucking hash like uh uh, you can read about it because in uh, sort of old Indian um, Victorian era, things like the Indian Hemp Drugs Commission, which is that like this multi-volume description of all the different types of cannabis, like hash and, and sensimilia and stuff that was available in India then, and the real like the some of the real real kind of cream high grade quality best uh, hashish came from uh, Bukhara in Uzbekistan, but. What happened was that the um, the evil Russians uh, invaded um, in the 1860s, I think it was, and uh, well, maybe it was later on than that. But anyway, like late 19th century, you know, Russian imperialism. They they just it took over that bit of Central Asia, and one of the main things early on, what they did was they wiped out all of the cannabis cultivation. Mm-hmm. But you can see it in the uh, the pollen record, you know. You can see that suddenly, like from the like the, the the archaeological pollen, you know, dig down into the soil, you can see like there's layers and layers and layers of pollen from when there was loads and loads of cannabis growing, and then suddenly it just stops in the late 19th century, you know. Yeah, because the Russians invaded. Out. Yeah, Russian imperialism. Uh, you know, they were expanding into into Central Asia and places like. I always to... liked Russians up until now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's like a bit like it's a bit like everyone everywhere, really. There are some great ones and there's some pretty shitty mm-hmm. ones. My my ex is Russian. She's lovely. She was in Uzbekistan recently, actually. But uh, um, you know, it's just not a it's not a hash destination. It's quite a nasty police state politically, polit- politics wise. You know, Uzbeks right. themselves are great. You know, but mm-hmm. police, okay, but politics wise, it's very very um, oppressive. You know, like Lucas hated it. Uh, when he was there, he was like, "Man, this place is fucking dead," you know. And be- beautiful buildings and so on, but the culture that came with that wiped out. If you Dang. if you look on my on my um, you know, basically like you know, like, again, I again don't want to get all political, but in practical terms, the Soviet Union was very very oppressive in those kind of places, and uh, the old um, the old kind of countercultural kind of cool forms of Islam. You know the hash smoking sessions and the big kind of drumming whirling dervish parties and all the kind of you know just the the, the lively the lively liveliness of of like real traditional Islamic culture mm-hmm. it got kind of stamped out because uh, under communism because it was like you think of like you're a dictator you know you imagine yourself as a kind of evil dictator of Uzbekistan what do you not want you don't want large groups of like free thinking men gathering together in big stoner parties discussing shit it's just not mm-hmm. 
good, really. If so, you're the same still applies people. now, you know, to the government we have now. It's the same thing. They don't want us to be thinking about them and questioning them. Yeah, Smoking I mean, too uh, much weed, you know. <laughs> it, there's a there's a similar paradigm, but it's a whole another level of nastiness in in places like that. You know, you, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you end up in a in a torture cell. You know that kind of thing. You know, and. Uh, they they really wiped it out, and uh, the same thing happened in in Turkey and many places. Um, to that kind of um, underground culture, countercultural, free thinking forms of of Islam that were were, were were really closely associated with hash, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so in in Iran, you know, again, big center for that kind of Sufi type dervish Islam. Um, they banned cannabis uh, in a similar, in fact, uh, earlier on in the sort of uh, 18th century, I think. Don't quote me on this, but they banned cannabis pretty early on. But opium was fine, right? So wow. there, there was a huge, like a huge, huge market and culture for taking opium in Iran. And like you could talk to Iranians who know their own history, and even to some extent these days, like swathes of the country are addicted to opium. But that was yeah. considered to be not such a problem for, for precisely the reasons that you've said, because people addicted to opium they're not uppity they don't have kind of crazy free thinking ideas and 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 radical opinions about stuff cannabis was really associated with free thinking subversive um culture you know so they it was mm. they banned those sorts that they banned um the kind of hash dens you know and they banned the um kankas the uh sort of um hospice um hospice is a bad word isn't it's not really the right word in english but like a guest house but like uh there were guest houses that also kind of attached to them you had uh, often a kind of a sufi mystical culture right so you could stay at these places for free as you traveled across these bits of asia if you were like planning your journey across from uh yeah, whatever like from jerusalem to you know um india mm-hmm. or um even if you weren't a muslim you could stay at these these places called kankas for free free food okay. free lodging big hash smoke cups each night kind of you know drumming drumming kind of trance dancing drumming parties, parties sounding like my kind of fucking party right there Shit, yeah. yeah well that's the vibe of, still if you go to um you can still see this still kind of living in bits of asia but if you can see it in pakistan and in india and in Bangladesh, uh, especially in Pakistan, it, it's still alive there. It never got stamped out, uh, even under the British, you know, whereas um, in Afghanistan under the Taliban, it's been pretty effectively stamped out. And in in, 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 yeah. in the former Soviet Union bits of Central Asia, it's been wiped out completely, you know, and in Turkey, yeah. it's been more or less wiped out. And in, in Iran, it's been pretty much wiped out. But in Pakistan and India, you go to Shah Jamal, or you go to Sawan Sharif, or you go to Ajmer. These uh, you can see, like you go, you go to um, yeah, Sawan Sharif, which is a Sufi shrine to Lal Shabazz Kalanda down in Sindh. Lal Shabazz Kalanda was a big holy man, you know, picture kind of dreadlocks and stoned out of his mind, red eyes, you know, a Sufi holy man, you know, who was famous for 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 being really subversive and. Uh, drunk and stoned all the time mm-hmm. but you know uh, he was a saint you know like uh, <laughs> and uh, you, you go to his shrine on a thursday night it's just the air is thick with hash smoke people wow. are out of their minds spinning around doing these crazy kind of um dances and there's transvestite um 
like transvestites all around, like traditional transvestites, you know, um, mm -hmm. who are part of that whole. It's like, um, you know, it's like a medieval, like you'd have the sort of kind of thing you'd have in England in the sort of, um, you know, um, the fe the pagan festivals and the sort of Christ Christianized pagan festivals. It's like very, um, it's where people go to just like uh, uh, cut loose, you know, they, mm -hmm. they, they have a free license to just really behave as they want in that context, you know, because mm -hmm. often the traditional culture of the villages is quite oppressive, especially if you're a woman, you know. But you can go, you can go as a woman to that, and just spin around and just let your hair go and just like just let it all out, you know. And and it's a it's a but it's an ecstatic it's an ecstatic religious experience, you know. And that's the that sort of that's the that's the cannabis culture that was actually everywhere across all the countries I've mentioned at one point, you know. Um, uh, that's how a lot of it spread was through these. Um, popular gatherings you know that are associated with um the actual real popular form of islam in these countries which is sufism it's not bin laden it's not the taliban you know it's not wahhabism the traditional culture of, of sufism of, of pakistan is sufism you know it's much more mystical uh can be con quite conservative in some aspects but not necessarily at all you know especially not like characters like uh shabazz kalanda you know um not hmm. at all, you know. Is that like a different section of Islam or something? Because I know some um, Shiite, but is there uh, it's not. It's I mean, it's it's Sunni, but it's okay. like actual Sunnism as it happens in practice. You know, like in reality on the ground, and and, and not just a, not just in a sort of like popular popular folk religion sense. It's like all of the all everywhere from the kind of aristocratic into intelligence in the in, in the intelligentsia and the sort of literate cult the highly literary culture and the artistic culture right the way down to the village level in terms of social status you know it's all sufi 99 percent of it there's a few i mean i mean not 99 percent, but there are shia minorities and there are ismailis up in chitral for example in pakistan but sunni sunni islam in reality in in especially especially going back into the 19th century in places like Pakistan, it's like, yeah, it's Sufi, you know, Sufi, Sufism is the dominant main form of what you encounter, you know? So like, a, you can go to many, like Shah Jamal as well, if you want to see like a massive fucking smoke up with the most amazing dull drumming, like pounding fucking, if you imagine like, you know, Detroit techno or some really heavy fucking <laughs> pulsing, trancey beats, uh, just amazing to watch it, like uh, um, Papu Sayin and Gunga Sayin, the really famous drummers, and it, it sort of builds up, you know, like you go and, and and it'll start around sometime after midnight is when it starts, you know, and it goes through till dawn, you know, and uh, the whole place is just thick with smoke, you know, and it's sort of really badly lit. It's like being, like, really is quite like being in like a Detroit techno thing, you know, like just one <laughs> kind of murky bulb going like flicking on and off you know <laughs> and uh yeah and then you know and the, and it just it just starts out kind of quite like um you know really really similar to a lot of that sort of like um hard house and, and detroit type beats you know and then it, it's it's all of what i described but it's happening in a in a shrine of um uh shah jamal you know uh wow. who's another of these sufi saints and um it's a graveyard you know so people are sat around in amongst the graves smoking it's have you been there and seen this? Have you? Have you taken yeah, 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 yeah. I'm describing cool. it from being there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, Shah Jamal, like, um, 
it's in Lahore, um, which is like in um, it's a big, um, big, big city um, in eastern Punjab, like not far from the border with uh, India. Um, and uh, if you go across into India, you can find this this similar type of thing in like Ajmer. Ajmer in in Rajasthan is a really good place to go for that. And again, there you can in Ajmer and you can just um, get a bang from the like you can get like cannabis for eating and uh, from the um, government licensed shops. So it's not even illegal. And then anywhere around the government licensed shops, you'll find there's someone who's selling charis or ganja or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, illegally, but um, yeah, it's uh, th- th- this is like uh, you know, this was this is like the the cannabis. It, it's it's what there is still of the cannabis culture that really, really pop was like the second big wave of like global uh, globalization, popularization of cannabis. It based on what the evidence is in the historical record, it sort of spread out of places like Afghanistan into places like uh, Syria and Turkey and Egypt. It, there was a there was a big wave of, of of this in the sort of 13th century, before which people just didn't. There's really no evidence of people knowing anything about it much in um, places like uh, Syria or Turkey or Egypt. Um, it, 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 the plant may have been around, but it was really no one commented on it, you know. And then suddenly, it's, there's a lot of people saying around the 13th century saying, "Oh, there's this thing called cannabis uh, or bang or hashish." And, it's associated with these, uh, you know, quite scandalous behaviors, you know, music and dancing and general naughtiness, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Naughtiness. Yeah. They're yeah. keeping me up all fucking night, these fucking stoners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you can get quite extreme as well. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, yeah, you know, wondering well, you've around. You've traveled quite a lot then, Angus, man. He's... And I'm sure there's many people out there who would uh, like to do the similar kind of travels that you have done, man. What would you recommend to anybody looking at heading out to these places to go and see these cannabis fields and experience some of these cultures? Um, You mean in terms of destinations? like Yeah, and like getting a visa, you know, just um, being safe, anything they should know about culture, things like that, you know? the, 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 The really important thing is to be kind of receptive and sensitive to um and and not be judgmental and in my opinion you know and sort of listen and uh yeah be respectful i guess you know not not meaning like be really restrained and 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 like oh timid but just like just be aware as 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 a as a as a as a back if, if you're kind of backpacking that kind of traveling um it can get quite tiring and uh you know quite exhausting often and um people can get into sometimes quite sort of negative judgmental state of mind. And I think it's always really important to sort of remember that um, there's so much going on around you that you don't quite actually really know what it's about and to not assume things, you know? So I'd say as a, as a kind of a rule, as a general rule of traveling, I think it's quite important, you know, don't judge and and and, 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 and try to be sort of receptive and sensitive to, to what's around you. Um, mm-hmm. don't, don't, don't assume that you know what's going on, for example. Um, cause a lot of people, when they get tired and jaded when they're traveling, they can quite easily slip into a sort of, I, I mean, Westerners, particularly in Asia, you know, can slip into quite a judgmental state of mind. Oh, this is terrible. And all these people, you know, and mm-hmm. it's all, and it's uh, You're just uh, tired and grouchy. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah not just tired and grouchy, but I mean, particularly really kind of judging the culture. You know, it's different from mm-hmm. what I'm used to and it's 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 not right and it shouldn't be like this. And you know what I mean? Like assuming right. that you know why all this different stuff is going on. And right. just because no one, no one, not even the prime minister in these places has the power to change a lot of what's going on. You know, it's it's these are huge countries, huge cities pretty chaotic and out of control in a way that I think it's really hard to to grasp until you've actually been there you know overwhelming you know and and yeah there's a lot of quite brutal stuff happens you know animals being treated in ways that you would be quite horrified by sometimes for example right it's quite important to remember that like no one's really got the power to do much about this really you know a lot of it Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah you know just yeah don't don't slip into a judgmental state of mind but if you want somewhere really cool and like really like if you're looking for an adventurous exciting experience pakistan is brilliant you know and and there's a lot of good hash around as well that's not hard to find and uh it's really like a got a wild west vibe to it it really you know there's a lot of guns around <laughs> i don't mean in a dangerous way necessarily it's it's these days it's pretty safe you know as long as you pay attention to 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 to, to you know, don't go wandering into the tribal agencies by yourself, you know, for example, right, right. you struggle to, 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 to do that anyway, it's, they, someone would stop you on the way in, but <laughs> you can go up to the mountains like Chitral, like Hunza, you know, the Karakorums, um, spectacularly beautiful, you know, amazing mountains and um, really beautiful um, places like Baltistan, um, where, which a lot of it used to be Buddhist. In fact, I mean, mo- all of Pakistan was Buddhist at one point um so you know swat valley you can and and uh just outside um islamabad around Rawalpindi, like there's taxila these amazing buddhist um ruins and, and exquisitely beautiful buddha statues and stuff and also um mardan over um near the cloud pass and stuff again um, just amazingly beautiful um uh buddha buddha statues and and old buddhist monasteries and um, you can go up into Chitral and they're mostly Ismaili um, Muslims and very, very laid back. And then there's like pagan tribal minorities in the Kailash Valleys and stuff. Um, yeah, and uh, um, just a really exciting country and people are cool, you know, like um, uh, uh, Pakistanis are, are, are very um, hospitable for the most part, very welcoming. You know, you have a problem in, in some bits where there aren't many guest houses and places to stay that people just invite you to their house and just like <laughs> just give you free food and a free bed for the night and stuff you know no way yeah 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 that's like that's like islamic culture you know it's really good on stuff like that you know in, especially in the in the really kind of more traditional bits up in the mountains you know it's like you like i have i have friends and places in these places from having gone there like three four times now who um if i go there it's like yeah, they will really go out of their way to try and stop me from booking a room in a hotel. They say, "No, you come and stay with me," and it will be lunch, dinner, breakfast. You know, um, of course, like you, you find a way to return the favor somehow or other. You know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'd sit in the in, uh, um, and you know, um, in the in in the guest in the guest room, right? The, uh, in in and uh, you know, with um, just this delicious like pakistani dal if you like indian foods pakistani dal is the best fucking dal you know pakistani naan bread uh it's just the best it's so good it's just perfect <laughs> it's so delicious you know and the best rice as well 
long grain, um, like kind of basmati rice, but I would say, and I don't want to offend any Indians, but it's like better than the best Indian basmati. And if you have <laughs> like, um, uh, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, p p pulau, pl uh, the, you know, you get like, um, uh, sorry, any vegetarians who are listening, but yeah, like, you know, goat or, 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 or like, uh, that and in, in a big, um, cook it cook it cook the rice with the meat in it you know pulau like that kind of stuff but done the way it really should be done and it's fucking delicious you know such good cooking um especially when you've had a few joints of like really good um <laughs> paris and that yeah when are you going out to these places again next like in the um uh, uh, search uh, for seeds next week um oh next week damn oh. yeah 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 um it's uh you know it's uh as you get towards um what's it called autumn equinox it you know that's um the beginning of when people like in fact some places they'll be cutting things already so lebanon they'll already be bringing down fields you know in becca valley and stuff because uh, mm -hmm. their plants are really early like the lebanese land races are what they what people call semi-auto you know so they will go into flower on like 18 hours of light you know uh -huh. um, and and they're done they're done Sometimes the people will harvest there as depending on how 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 early they plant, they'll be harvesting like middle of August already in Lebanon, and then hand rubbing in the Himalayas. Like um, as soon as the plants are far enough into flower, which they will be by the end of this month for sure. Like uh, even like you know, like I say, sort of September third week of September, there'll be people will definitely be already starting hand rubbing in bits of the Indian Himalayas, the more northerly bits. Um, you know, it's, it's very early to cut, to, to, to do it, but they will, people will start making the odd piece of, 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 of hash as early as that in some of these places. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm headed off. I've got some stuff I need to do before I can actually go seed collecting. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be, you know, starting to, to, to collect some, uh, wild material that we were talking about at the beginning, you know, cause it's quite, mm -hmm. Now that I know I've got people who will be able to actually make use of this, um, it makes a lot of sense to 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 grab it while it's possible before it gets fucked up, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Chuba, he had an interesting question as well. Because, but but first, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, this is some interesting shit that you're talking about. Do traveling to all these places? Do you do some kind of vlog or you know? some youtube channel do you make videos of these because it would make a fucking epic series to see all these journeys yeah um i have quite a lot of footage and um the places i've just been talking about I have a lot of footage from and um my one of my brothers is uh, a very good um filmmaker you know um he was at, um nfts which is one of the really good um filmmaking places national national film and television school Right. Uh, he makes mostly kind of nature documentaries and just as he was getting ready to to, to apply to go there um we went like uh and shot a whole load of material in um Kamaun and uh during the harvest season um and then before that i'd shot some material with a with a german friend of mine as well and um just uh, yeah, it's, it was in my mind even as, as I was talking to you as well. You know that um, yeah, it, the, the really what you need is a lot of good uh, uh, photos or or video of it really to really mm. get it across. Um, yeah, it's something I want to do. You know, it's on my list of things to do. Um, uh, is to do that or to find some people to do that. 
um there are challenges you know less uh, Chilbert volunteered by the way Chilbert's uh, yeah if he's if he's if he's good with a camera yeah um I, like uh yeah uh, like I, like i do know i do know some good photographers who as well you know so uh yeah if people but if people are interested who who really are like good uh, you know take good photos or good video yeah you know like send me an email you know and sh with a link to, to to some of your work and that yeah i'll certainly be interested to to awesome. to, to talk to talk about it yeah yeah, man. So where can pe people are obviously going to want to check out your website to find out the seeds? And that's uh, just the real seed company.com, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, and um, what have I uploaded there recently? Some new things. I've got, I, I've got some, a few new um, Lowland races in. And um, cool. if people are looking for like traditional hemp plants, I've got some uh mong hemp plants which are we put on a for, for a, a, a pretty cheap price like a pretty cheap price sorry uh from yeah. a, a quite remote bit of um northeastern lao where it's uh grown there these are like uh, east asian style fiber plants which might be just fun to grow for for fun you know um and uh probably they're going to be, be of more interest to that preservation program that i was talking about but um and uh yeah, I've made a, like a discount section recently where you could get basically a really nice representation of, you know, Hindu Kush things and Himalayan things and Southeast Asian ganja, all for, you know, I think very, very fair prices. So I'm talking like less than a quarter of the price of the same thing elsewhere on, on other sites that do land races, you know. Nice, yeah. For, for the amount that people are selling uh the same things as what i have more yeah basically the same the, you know the same idea uh, i'm doing them for like less than a quarter of the price in that discount section you know so if you are buying that's, some grace seeds definitely check that out and save yourself some money you can have a really nice collection for the same that's price right and, a collection yeah. that's what people want to be thinking even you're thinking oh, i think i'll stick to growing my big butter blue cheese this is like yeah. a Pokemon card collection, man, where you can go and collect all these <laughs> Pokemons from all these different places. Man, it's a better than a Pokemon card collection. What you, you know what I mean? Like, look at this. It's got these hundred seeds. It's like this one's from from this place in India. This one's from Thailand. You know, just little backstories on them and shit. you got to do it, Angus. It'll be a mission, but man. Yeah. yeah. I, and, um, one thing you can do as well is like... Um... Uh, if you if you are working indoors and it is inconvenient to grow these traditional plants indoors, one of my favourite um, seed um, you know outfits was a guy called Afro Pips. If, if you remember that from the like um, he was around in the sort of early two thousands, and he had this um, collection. He had a, he had a, like four or five really good African land races, but he also did these like two like, these F ones or these like two way or three way hybrids with them. So, you know, Malawi gold crossed with like the Dutch passion blueberry and right. uh, what was it? A sort of a sweet, some kind of sweet skunk. I forget who it was who made it. And he called that like Malberry was, was his name for it. But it was like a Malawi blueberry sweet skunk. Okay. Yeah. And it was a, it was really easy to grow indoors. It like it fucking grew itself because it had this incredible hybrid vigor and mm -hmm. you got pretty good yields off it. And you also got quite a nice kind of a, um you know um midway point between the the really lovely um positivity of the malawi high and then the sort of delicious flavors of a sort of a blueberry dp blueberry sweet skunk 
mixed yeah. with the Malawi and you know really like I never smelled anything else like it anywhere else and just yeah you know now that I know people are, are on the case with preserving all these land races I'm much more relaxed about people just like using them for making fun crosses you know because they do it's a way of bringing in some like really really unusual aromas that you get when you when you cross these to, to a nice modern strain and then you also have a bit more like you know power in there when it's because you know like if you you know himalayan land race isn't very good for smoking as, as bud unless you're not too fussed about potency but yeah you get a really nice combination of strength and aromas and buzz you know mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah anyway you can pick up a pick up a, like a a 12 pack for like you know some of them i'm doing for like i think 12 you know 12 quid more or less you know and, and, and wow yeah you just like let them drop a <laughs> bit of pollen on uh on on some blueberry or something you know and you've got like some really you know lovely effects you know those those afro pips uh uh hybrids were, were really nice he, he, he kicked the bucket around about 2010 jim so they all disappeared there was someone who was a was a big fan of their work who did take over the website and do some knockoffs but they seem to have given up on it now i think as far as i know but yeah he had some yeah. great stuff um it's awesome man you've got loads of share on your website it's fucking if anybody wants to start a seed collection that's the place to go man start off with that shit yeah 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 awesome. if, if you were really really serious um uh in the sense of serious as in like a crop breeder who happens to be listening to this and has like several acres that they can put to grow cannabis on and is is uh you know you will actually in in due course be able to just um of the hundred accessions that I've already um, given to this project, once they've maintained them all, you would be able to just put in an application and uh, get the seeds for free. You know, you've got to be like someone who's um, going to be, you know, credentialed, licensed grower who they know for sure is is actually doing a project that's going to take generations of, of breeding and be. Uh, you know done on on scale you know so i mean if you're if you're just growing them for fun i don't think you'll be able to get them but in due course um once they've maintained it all you will just be able to get some of these afghans and loud things that i've collected uh in bulk for free you know <laughs> i know that sounds nuts but i'm not i'm not i'm not putting myself out of business just, just to make it clear you know i do it, it's but it, it's in, in a few years or so that will be possible as well you know so there'll be a whole kind of hopefully kind of new wave of strains that will eventually uh, come along in the next decade or so as people do some like new original work at scale I hope. Hey, um, yeah pretty yeah, cool you'll be cool leaving see. a hell of a legacy right there man Funny. well i hope really so nice yeah. Genetics behind. yeah i hope so it, it would be fun to yeah, like uh, really like you know expand the 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 kind of palette of uh, of or the, the the menu of of, of strains out again you know uh, oh, yeah. a kind of new level of diversity and, and different, you know, get some of the different effects and aromas going on. You know, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm I'm all about that. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me. I, I don't have much space at all to deal with. You're tempting <laughs> me right now. Yeah, that's the challenge, isn't it? I mean, even There's... a lot of these um, big uh, successful seed banks that uh, that do a lot of the internet trade, you know, they don't actually even the them don't have much space to work in they often work with several different people working on one strain you know mm -hmm. um, 
in in relatively small spaces and that's that that's that's the challenge that that we're just kind of getting beyond that now we're getting to a point where you could theoretically do some really large scale selection yeah mm -hmm. yeah nice man it's going to be see interesting to see what happens in the future and the yeah yeah continue to do mate it's, it's fucking awesome it's always good to speak to you as well you know you, yeah well, thanks and, and thanks for so much knowledge me. man mm. yeah well it's a, it's a pleasure and thanks for like asking you know and making this all possible and it's a real honor and a privilege to be able to talk oh, man, privilege is all ours mate you know you just have so much knowledge for this shit it's like wow you know uh, everybody's baffled right now about how much you know and how, how experienced you are in the world of cannabis, man. It's very cool. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. You know, pleasure to ask and shit. Well, thank, yeah, thanks. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I hope what I've done is inspire some people to go and 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 go and, and experience these places firsthand. Yeah, yeah. Sure, but it's going with you, isn't it, next year? With taking a camera? <laughs> yeah, with the camera, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I mean, seriously, Chilbert and anyone who, uh, you know, if if you've got the photography skills, that's the that's my one criteria you know that and that and being pretty laid back and resilient would be my my three my three my three qualifications that i that, that, that i'd be looking for because i because i would love to get um more uh material on film you know um one of these days i'm hoping to persuade my my brother to to, to come do another trip you know as well uh because it but it's 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 yeah it's a demanding it's demanding, it's hard work, but it is also really good fun, you know. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. No doubt, man. It can be done and it should it should yeah. be done. That's what this yeah. project I've been talking about is looking for as well. Uh if you've got good photos from these places documenting all of the traditional culture, a lot of people are interested to 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 see that now. Cause mm -hmm. they're people are getting more and more aware. There's like the, the big discussion now in the hemp world. And in the in in the you know marijuana quotes world, is the, the biodiversity problem. You know they're all, all all they're all talking about it at these kind of conferences and so on. You know it's like fuck, we've got to get what's left of the traditional plants preserved and maintained in, in into germplasm collections because if it all disappears, we're going to be really screwed. And then disappearing with that is the traditional um, culture of it. You know, in the in the villages, that is mm. on the way out in many places as the economy changes. You know, yeah. The, yeah, there's 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 not much care being taken by the governments in places like India. They've introduced hemp into, like hemp hemp into bits of the Himalaya now. It's really short sighted. You know, um, and that's going to end up pollinating the the weed out there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's not good, and the same has been done in many places. I mean, Cambodia, most of, anywhere where there's like an expat or or a tourist community, you've got like everything's been hybridized. There, there are there are bits, there are places that are just that much more remote and that that much more disconnected that have have meant that you can still go and get uh, the real thing even in Cambodia. But you've got to go well off the beaten track. You've got to go into places that. A really pretty hard work to travel in you know uh stinky dirty hotels you know rough um food that's not clean and you know <laughs> i mean that sounds really fussy but it's like it's it's fine for a few days mm -hmm. once you've mm -hmm. got into a few months it's <laughs> it's, it's like different it, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's not it's not it's not it's not like going to the north pole or anything but it's like it's still <laughs> quite hard work you know and um, 
anyway yeah it's still around but yeah like uh, thank god finally like uh people who've got that who are in the position to actually preserve this and maintain it uh have, have taken note and have committed the resources to doing it mm. so um you know we can all kind of relax a bit or i can relax and you know encourage people to 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 just have fun with like i say making making like you know cross nanda davy to i don't know you know um like i say blueberry or you know flow or like one of those really nice buzzy um type strains and, and you you end up with something really really great lovely hash you know uh for mm -hmm. example yeah. Um, yeah. it'd be nice if you could uh bring some home with you but you can't can you <laughs> i used to i used mm. to like um i'd be really silly you know not i would never yeah. carry it with me on the plane and i certainly wasn't into like the whole fucking ass egg thing that some people yeah. used to do from the old, uh, prison pocket you know yeah not my cup of tea but um you know i i'd i'd, I'd have some around you know and uh i've just i just got to a point now where i just don't think it's worth it you know I just can't see the yeah it is man it's not worth it but yeah so so let us know when you go on your um journey over there next year because that's going to be get more footage man get your footage online as well so we can see that oh, shit, bro. this Come year on. yeah but i'll be there yeah. i'll be there as of um, <laughs> as of uh the end of this month and um nice and uh yeah uh yeah I, i'm just i'm just shit with cameras and stuff otherwise i'd be taking more photos myself but um i yeah i'm, I'm <laughs> my ex the russian ex brilliant photographer you know and i've all i'm always trying to encourage her to to, to come and take pictures you know she's a really good portrait photographer as well mm. um and that was my plan you know last last year and of course it all just um you know high 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 intensity traveling together stuff is a perfect way to have a breakup you know if you oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if you ever go traveling with someone it doesn't matter who they are if they you know best friend or someone who you're generally have a, have a really easy relationship with you can just find yourself in the most stupid arguments you know <laughs> just like about nothing you know nothing and it's just like suddenly in this mm -hmm. furious row about absolutely nothing at all and it's like mm -hmm. traveling just optimizes that some in in yeah. some situations especially when you've got to do a lot of like you know public transport or something something quite yeah, you're tired and stressful. Homesick, yeah. hungry yeah. probably that, have that, to shit yeah. for three days because you're in india you know? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the only solution to that is cook for yourself incidentally that's what i used to do for mm -hmm. years, years until i got a constitution of iron and i'd finally <laughs> broken through the <laughs> but yeah I, I used to just uh bring a rice a, a rice cooker you know like um mm -hmm. just those um you can plug an electric um rice cooker uh and just uh boil you know boil boil your own veg and and, and rice and, and and bung some spices in there and just do it like that for years I did that because I just got sick of getting ill, you know? Yeah. yeah. Touch wood, I've, I've done relatively well in the last few years. So. Yeah, you're going to go back over there. It's going to be the same, you know? Be careful what you eat, man. Struck down by <laughs> the belly, belly. Yeah. You know, damn. It takes some getting used to, I bet. But yes, man, let's wrap this shit up then because nearly midnight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to turn into a pumpkin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll let you go then, Angus, and then we'll wave off to the audience and we'll let them go as well. But we'll yeah. let you go first. So yeah, man. Thanks again for coming to join yeah, us, and uh, I'll again. I'll see if uh, I'll get in touch with Jordan. We're speaking to him this week mm. and get you up on the broadcast, man. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Thanks, cool. guys. All right. Take care, Angus. Yeah, take care.
Bye bye. Bye bye. Everybody wave, man. Everybody wave. As we do. There you go. And there we go, everybody. That was the return of Angus for a Q&A. It's always a pleasure to speak to Angus. Please go and check out his website if you wanted to get some of those land races. Just head out to therealseedcompany.com. You just do a Google search and you can find their website as well. So it's nice and easy to find. Also, we are back this week. We had a week off last week, and that's why we've had interviews in place of our usual episodes. But we are back on Sunday over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash homegrown at 9 p.m. UK time. Uh, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. So if you're free, it would be good to see you over there on the YouTube channel. But of course, no pressure. It's good to have you here listening to these episodes. I hope you enjoyed this week's interviews and we'll catch you on Sunday for the live show or on Monday for the cannabis news and events. So we'll see you then. Have a good weekend. Stay high, stay safe, and we'll catch you on the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye.